Welcome to Hey Julia Woods podcast. I'm your host, Julia Woods, founder of Beautiful Outcome, a coaching company focused on helping couples learn to see and understand each other, even in the most difficult conversations. On my podcast, I will share with you the real and raw of the messiness and amazingness of marriage. I'll share with you aspects of my relationship and the couples I coach in a way that you can see yourself and find the tools that you need to build the marriage you long for. Do you or your spouse struggle with low self-esteem? If you do, I resonate. I definitely have um, had that impact our marriage for a very long time, longer than I'd like to admit. I actually have my husband, Jeff, here with me on this episode today. Hey, Hey, hon. How you doing? (laughs) Because he was definitely impacted by my low self-esteem. It doesn't mean he didn't have one. I think uh, that's something that he can decide how much he wants to share about that today. But for me, what I want to do is invite you into kind of the behind the scenes of our relationship by... Uh, you know, sharing with you what a low self-esteem looks like for me, how it affected our marriage, hear from Jeff as to some of how it impacted him, and then talk with you about how I started loving myself. And my hope is that, you know, if you are struggling with a low self-esteem, or maybe you're like me and you didn't even, you don't even really realize you have one, that this can open up some new opportunities and ultimately open up new connection with you and your spouse. So what I want to do is share with you first and foremost, what a low self-esteem look like. Like I said, I didn't know I had one and Any glimpse that I got that I did have one, I actually kind of thought was good. I thought it was good to have a low self-esteem because I thought it meant that I was humble. (laughs) Face plant, that's a little embarrassing to say, but that is literally how I was raised. And the environment and the culture I grew up with, women were supposed to look lowly upon themselves. And so the the real definition of uh, low self-esteem means a sense that you don't deserve love and you struggle to value your own thoughts, feelings, opinions, interests, and goals. Yes, that was me. Some of the main symptoms of the low self-esteem were I was highly critical of myself. Every single flaw was exaggerated. Like, you know, if I was having a bad hair day, there was days I literally wouldn't go out of the house because I was was so sure that people would just like, you know, I would ruin their day because they would see someone that was so ugly. Or, um, you know, making mistakes was just unacceptable to me. A mistake wasn't wasn't an option in my mind. I uh, scoured everything that I had said when I had been with other people or been on the phone or been in a conversation with Jeff. I would scour over what I had said and just beat myself for anything that had sounded foolish or uneducated or unkind. I constantly needed affirmation. Like Jeff couldn't affirm me enough. It wasn't uncommon for me to say, you know, things like, um, you know, if he would say, I love you, I'm like, no, you don't. Like, even when he affirmed me, I couldn't let myself receive it. Um, Accomplishments, I really expected accomplishments. It wasn't like it was anything that I had grown or could celebrate. It was like, oh, I just, you know, got the highest sale in my business. Okay, great. Like that was expected. I, that should have happened years ago. I thought very negatively of nice things like gifts and massages and trips. Like it was like, I wasn't supposed to have those things. And I told myself I was selfish for having had them and enjoying them. I constantly compared myself to other people. I did whatever everyone else needed in order to get them to like me. And then of course, the way this works is I was then mad at them because I was doing so much for them. Um, But I thought more about other people. If you had been inside my head, you would have seen that my thoughts were focused more on everyone else. What do they think about me? What do they need in order to like me? Would this help them see I'm a good mom, a good spouse, a good friend? 
I did not trust myself. I was a workaholic trying to earn love and validation. I continually doubted myself. I couldn't receive compliments. As I said, if Jeff complimented me, I would tell him, you know, if he would say, you look beautiful, I'm like, what's wrong with your eyesight? Or have you seen this thing or whatever? And on the other side of that, I couldn't handle feedback. Like he couldn't be honest with me. If he told me, let's say I was just being bitchy. If he would have said that, I would have, it would, I would have fallen apart for days and weeks. Um, I starved myself. I didn't eat healthy because I was trying to have the perfect body. I was stressed all the time. Everything was a problem. Jeff and my kids started making fun of me. They'd be like, oh, we have a problem because I said it all the time. Everything that wasn't going the way it should have been, to me, it was exaggerated and the sky was falling. So there's a lot. And that's that's interesting for me to say it. I'm curious as you hear me say all those things. Um do you resonate with having those, having experienced those with me? And did you even recognize at the time that they were, it was a low self-esteem on my part? I'm definitely having flashbacks um, from those times when that you're mentioning. And at the time, I don't, I didn't look at it as low self-esteem. Um, you know, I think we've looked in our relationship many times at, I think even like codependency. And um, so it's kind of like sometimes you just begin to walk on eggshells in those moments, which I think low self-esteem is like watering that soil for that to happen, you know, in terms of just being able to, if you were very stressed out or very, you know, bitchy, like there was avoidance you know, from that. But I don't think I really looked at it as low self-esteem. Um, I tend to look at it more as a stress, like a stressor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now you know, going through the work we've gone through, I do see, you know, there was, there was a low self-esteem there. Um, and I do feel it was more that, you know, there's going to be codependency in the relate in every relationship. There's a codependency. Now how much that is, is, you know, to be determined. But I think in that, if you're okay, I'm okay. And if you're upset, I'm upset. And there's just all that at play sometimes and undercovering it as, as a low self-esteem is a new outlook or a new, creates new curiosity as to what might be really going on in the situation or in the relationship of itself. Well, it's interesting to think about it because here you are, you decided that of all the women in the world, you wanted to love me and choose me as your wife. And yet I saw myself lowly. I saw myself as beneath everyone else. And I didn't think I was valuable. I didn't think I was lovable. So If you think about that, when I put myself in your shoes and here is this woman who I want to love, how hard is it to love someone that doesn't love themselves? Well, did I really know that coming into a relationship though? Well, when we were in it and you, you know. Yeah, because I think a lot of what you were dealing with was just your childhood and upbringing as as well as my upbringing. Because you and I had very, you and I had very, two very different upbringings um my upbringing obviously was i'm an only child um embarrassingly i was the you know the favorite in terms of the nephew the grandson i was very much gloated on by other people so i didn't even experience what low self-esteem was so i thought um and then it's just the opposite for you and your relationship with you know your family coming from a family of eight. Um, so when we first got married, I don't think it was even on my radar that you had low self-esteem until the time, you know, as you were struggling with, you know, your appearance and you <laughs> hitting the wall with your fist and I saw a different side of you and I was like, okay, something's up. But um, 
I think that's the beauty of the relationships is that there's always something that's being uncovered. Would you say you have a, had a low self-esteem? Uh, coming into the marriage, you mean? Yeah. Or now, or in life in general. Whatever. I, I don't. I don't think I actually looked at it personally. I, I didn't look at it as self-esteem. Uh, yeah, I did because there was always this part of me that you know wanted to be liked, wanted to be attractive, wanted to be you know be the popular one. And there were definitely times in my life where that wasn't the case. Uh, Younger, I was, you know, it was time that I was bullied uh, as a kid, young kid. Uh, I didn't call it bullying. It was just kids being kids. But, um, yeah, there was, you know, low self-esteem. Being an only child, I think, helped incubate that a little bit because I, I spent a lot of time alone, um, even away from my parents. If You know, on our house, you've been there. You remember seeing multiple televisions, and now I'd always go find a TV and be alone. And I liked the isolation. And curiosity to be, why did I like that isolation? Why did I want to be alone? Probably because it gave me an escape. That I didn't have to, you know, be with myself or um, nobody wanted to hang out with me or call me or, hey, let's go do this and let's go do that. Um, so, and obviously I turned to sports as that affirmation in my life. So, yeah. So back, back to that question about what's it like to love someone when they don't love themselves? It's hard. It's not, it's not, it's not an easy situation. It's, um, I do, you know, it can be very, it's challenging, I think, because you're, you're really, it could be feeding the cycle in a worse way if you um, buy into their, I guess, victim mindset. Would you want to call it, would you call it a victim mindset, low self-esteem or would you? Well, yeah, because a vic, um, well, <clears throat> part of a victim mindset is shame and a, and a big piece of the low self-esteem was shame because I felt something was bad, broken or wrong with me and therefore I wasn't lovable. So it was very much a scarcity, shame-filled victim mindset um, that was yeah. beneath it all. Yeah, because when I have, when, even in, in, even today, when we have bouts of self, when I have bouts of low self-esteem, and I express to you that low self-esteem, there's just times I just want you to help feed it. Right. I just want you to be on my side and I want you to say, yeah, I can agree with that. And, and you're not, you're not, <laughs> to your credit, you're not willing to do that. And it can cause a frustration there at the, it's, it's, it's a temporary, it's only a temporary fix, right? It's a temporary mm -hmm. gain for a long-term pain. If it, I agree with if you. I, if you agree with me, are you, you know, sy yeah. sympathize, not empathize with what, you know what it is. So if you feed that, and again, that's where the codependency is, is growing in that, in that respect, because it's really, if you're okay, I'm okay. And you're, you, you, but you've, you've stood your ground and have, um, I don't say forced me, but you have definitely made me look at what else could be true in those moments that I have low self-esteem. Um, and I, and I do that work kicking and screaming. Um, so it's just, you know, part of me that I have to realize that my low self-esteem is affecting all those around me in a very negative manner. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not fun to be around. I'm not uh, joy to be around. Um, and then sometimes you end up because of that th way of thinking, you just isolate, and then you you don't want to be around at all. Right, right. Yeah, and it's interesting to think low self esteem. So I esteem myself lowly, and it's easy to say like I had a low self esteem, like it was a you know a disease, 
and now I've been cured. But the truth is, at any moment, at any time, we can see our, we can esteem ourselves lowly. And when we're in a marriage, it's, it's, you know, how is that for the other person trying to love us? I know that when you go, you go to places where you esteem yourself lowly, I just hurt. And I'm like, how, it, it taints my love for you because it's like, if he can't love what's there and he knows himself better than I know him, how, why would he expect me to love him? Right. It's like if somebody has if somebody has an apple and, you know, I'm about they're handing it to me and I'm about to eat and they're like, oh, look, it's all bruised. It's all it's got a wormhole in it. Now, all of a sudden, I don't want it. But in essence, that's what we do to ourselves in our marriage when I'm trying to convince you how awful I am, how unloving, unlovable I am, how, you know, badly I have messed up. It makes it pretty difficult for the other spouse to then say, oh, yeah, you're amazing. I don't I'm not going to buy into what you're saying. It's easy to just fall into that same belief. If that's what you believe about yourself, why wouldn't I believe that about you? Yeah. uh, And for the. For the spouse, that is, you know, um, not on the receiving end, but on the giving end of that, it, it can be very like, it can be exhausting. Yes. It could be exhausting for you. It could be exhausting for me. Um, I think even now in our relationship, when, when you have bouts of low self-esteem, I can, I can give encouragement and I can give you other perspective, but I also realize that I just need to leave you alone in that moment and let you, let you do the work. Because I think the issue is, and you and I have had this conversation many times, that when the other person is doing the work for you, you're not getting anything out of it. Yeah. So obviously, you know, I don't, I, w- I don't call myself a coach. So if I'm trying to coach you through it, um, then you're not, you're just listening and really not doing the work. And you've said the same to me, like you, you know, and I've said the same thing. You know, like don't coach me even when you're, because you have an ability where it's your career and your livelihood and it's something that you're really good at. It's easy for you just to get on the coaching ears in a, in our relationship yeah, with us, with our kids, with, you know, friends. Um, and so it's, it's when you keep doing the work um, for somebody else, um, resentment right. will set in. Yeah. When you were going through the depression and you were just on yourself, all the time. Um, just couldn't seem to see, find one positive thing about yourself. It, the easiest way I knew how to describe it is you were drowning. And I felt like I was drowning with you in trying to help convince you otherwise of a different view of yourself that I saw. And, and it was definitely hard. It, and it's powerful to think you don't often think you know how miserable you are inside. I knew how miserable I was inside as the more I, you know, as I hated myself, but I hadn't put myself in the shoes of my children. I hadn't put myself in the shoes of you, of what it must be like to be sitting there watching the one you love so much, hating themselves and the power that that has, like it's, it's shocking to think about that. And yet I grew up in a home where that was how it was normal. So I know the suffering that the child goes through. I know the suffering from that side of things. And yet the power to think beyond yourself in those moments and think about how it's impacting the people you love, um, I think could have helped me wake up faster. Sometimes that's hard to do even, even that, like to realize what impact you're having on others when you just really are all about your own. Well, that's the part of the victim mindset, yeah, your own right? Narcissism or self, self-loathing. Um, it's just can be easier to be in a victim mindset, right? Because you're not relied upon. Exactly. There's no expectations. Yep. On there was no expectations on me, so I'm like, 
no responsibility. I like this. Yeah. It's amazing how many benefits come from thinking lowly of yourself that um, allow you to, yeah, get a lot of permission to (laughs) not need to grow, a lot of permission to not be the best version of yourself, a lot of permission to isolate and only think about yourself versus the first step to recovery would be thinking about other people. And that's really what called me up and out of it. Before we go there, I want to keep talking about some of the impacts on our marriage. Uh, I mentioned it earlier in regards to like any expression of love from you, I rejected. If you gave me gifts, I was, I complained about how much they cost, or I complained that it, you know, it wasn't what I wanted or it didn't fit. Um, some other things, some other ways that I saw that it impact, uh, impacted our marriage is that I couldn't relax and have fun because I constantly needed to have approval. Like I couldn't have fun with you and the kids because the house needed cleaned up because if the house wasn't cleaned up, then it was a sign that I wasn't a good mom or a good wife. I couldn't relax and have fun and just say, you know, let's just, um, you know, what, whatever it was, I just had a very hard time relaxing because everything was about achieving and getting approval and trying to earn love. And when you would express affirmation or you would express love, you know, a question I ask you probably almost every day, if not every, every other day is, do you love me? And the moment you would say, yes, I love you. I would say, why? Tell me why I was waiting. I needed you to try and convince me that you loved me because I couldn't fathom that you really did. And I would often ask you, would you marry me again today? And of course you would say yes at that time. Would you say yes now? (laughs) But it's just interesting. Like when you talk about exhausting, like are those the, um, were those some of the exhausting experiences or were, was it other things that you found exhausting? No, I would say those, those were exhausting. Um, yeah, we've grown a lot in 32 years of marriage. <laughs> 32 and a half. <laughs> 32 and a half years of marriage. Um, that, you know, we didn't have tools when we walked into marriage, you know, you're just, we thought we did. We were given we one, read a couple marriage books. Well, even that, I don't even remember reading. The only book I remember reading was a book called his needs, her needs. Yeah. And quite honestly, the only thing I took away from that book was my number one need was sex. So that's, <laughs> that's not even one of the five love languages. Well, no, no. <laughs> the book was never about the five <laughs> yes, love languages. It is. No, it's not. The book was called his needs, her needs. Okay. You're right, Your right. needs were, <laughs> you know, quality time and so forth. Um, you know, affection. Mine was number one need for a male was sex. <laughs> I wish we will maybe in the in the show notes we'll put um, uh, a link to that book. But anyway, it was his needs, her needs. It was one of the first books we gave. I, I remember now. I was getting confused yeah, with, with five, five love languages. languages. I get it. Um, which is another great book. But um, yeah, we didn't have tools. We didn't have we didn't have tools. We don't have the technology we have now. I mean, all these things that can help articulate our feelings hey, differently. Here's what I want to say: is so many people around us had great marriages Did without they, technology, without the tools. We chose not to get the tools. We chose to believe that you know we had this amazing love that would carry us through. And when we had problems, we didn't reach out for help because we told ourselves things like it's normal. We told ourselves it's just a season. We made all these excuses rather than getting honest. Wow. I esteem myself very lowly and that makes it hard for my spouse to love me. We weren't willing to get that honest. It didn't, I don't think it was near as much about tools as our naivety and our lack our desire to stay dishonest and in denial. And I, and I do want to say, I think you, I'm, I, by saying tools, my hunches or what I make up is that you're thinking like these typical things that we would use today 
what I'm actually, when I'm saying tools, I think what I really mean to say is an awareness of, of why, why we see that as a best choice available to us. That's by the tools being was just the education that you and I have received over the last, just in a short amount of time, last 10 years, those tools of inquiry and things like that. Yeah. I, I just think we have what we want. And when we were ready, when we wanted those things, when we had tired of the drain of a low self-esteem, we chose to go find those tools. Because mm-hmm. what's the future coming towards you? Right. If you sit in that victim mindset. Right. And I'm not here to say that I've don't ever go to a dark, a dark place or um, hug my shadow, so to speak. There's times that I do and I can go to a victim and low self-esteem. My recovery seems to be quicker. Um, my recovery is more reliant upon me and my work. Um, and then, like I said, the, the quickness of that is better because I, it's, it's a little bit easier in our life now because we're empty nest. You know, the kids aren't, because there's kids aren't around. I'm not affecting them. It's really just affecting you and you and me at the moment. So, um, the quickness, you know, able to sit with it, able to get clear on it, able to communicate it, articulate it, be vulnerable about it with you and then do the work. And that sometimes does require you and I having a conversation, an authentic one. Yeah, because I think for years we fed each other's low self-esteem because we gave each other a lot of benefits out of it. When you were down on yourself, I would pick up all the pieces and do everything for you. Now I don't do that. So it you don't want to sit in it near as long. Yeah, we have a lot of enabling in that situation. We we enable each other a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what I hear you talk, what we're obviously moving to at this point is kind of how we shifted out of it. And one of the biggest things for me is I started to get honest that my belief that a low self-esteem was humility was a lie that in reality it was, it was prideful. A low self-esteem is prideful. I was arrogant and prideful to make life all about me, to in essence, argue with God. I was, I was, when I choose to think lowly of myself, I'm telling God that he is not right, that his choice to give me life, to give me good things. When I'm sitting there saying I'm not worthy, I'm basically telling him he's a liar. And so I realized I was either going to believe God and start believing in my in the gift of life that he gave me and the the beautiful things he was giving me or i was going to spend my life arguing with him and spending my life arguing with him was making me miserable you miserable the kids miserable so i decided to just start believing what he had to say about me and instead of believing that i wasn't worthy i chose to start believing that I had the ability to contribute to creating moments worth living. And sitting in a low self-esteem, sitting beating myself up, wasn't a moment worth living. So how could I shift and do the work in my backyard? One of the first things that began to help me was reading the book, Codependent No More. And the subtitle of it, what is stop controlling others and start loving yourself. That was very hard for me. We, you were in depression, you were dealing with depression and we'd hired her. I, I don't remember if I hired her, you hired her, but we got a career coach to help you because you were really depressed and struggling at work. And after three sessions, the career coach said, okay, I'm done. And Julia, you need to read codependent no more. And when I read the subtitle of that, Stop Controlling Others and Start uh, Loving Yourself, I was so angry because I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't control him. I can't get him to love his job. I can't get him to do what he wants to do or what I want him to do. He's, you know, he's the one in control. Um, But what I began to discover is that the way I was controlling others was through this low self-esteem was a big part of it. And... Um, 
you know, asking you to do things for me because I didn't think I was capable of doing them. What would you say is some of the ways for you that felt like I was controlling at that time? Well, I would think that, like you said, you're controlling the situation. Like, I'm not sure if I was 100%. Now that I'm, I'm looking back at that time frame, it's, I'm, it's a little cloudy. But I don't recall ever thinking that we needed to hire a career coach, right? Um, I, I, saw, I saw you trying to throw a lifeline or you know, life preserver out. But I don't, I wouldn't think of it at the, at the time. I didn't like look at it as controlling. Um, you were just doing what you thought needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I think as a spouse, you can, can, you can, can look at that as controlling, but it's not really controlling. Well, I think what was controlling for me, what really stood out for me in that process was recognizing that everything I did, I was doing for validation. If I made you a nice meal, it was because I wanted you to think I was a good wife. If I, you know, did something special for the kids, it was because I wanted them to think I was a good mom. So I was trying to control what you felt and thought by what I was doing rather than choosing to do it because I just wanted to do it for you. That began to really shift for me when I began to realize how selfish I was, how selfish my love was in that it was all about trying to get affirmation, trying to get approval so that I could finally feel worthy of love. But it wasn't it wasn't working. It was doing the opposite because there was no amount of affirmation or love that you could give me that would actually change the emptiness inside because I didn't want to feel worthy as much as I didn't realize that. I didn't, as long as I believed I wasn't worthy, I'm not going to be wanting to believe, you know. Yeah, because you're making it about you. Right. Yeah. I think that's the biggest question that you and I have gone through in life is, when a situation arises, it's asking asking yourself the question, "What am I up to?" Yeah, you know, because that will expose what's really going on under the surface in that situation. If you'd have had that phrase or that to think about back then, you know, what am I up to in choosing this career coach? Then that would have opened up more curiosity. Yeah, so I hired the career coach because I wanted you to change how you were showing up at work. Yeah. I honestly can't even remember the whole conversation. That, that should tell you how out of it I was at the time in life. Um, I mean, I remember the, the sessions, um, that, but I don't re- even remember any of the conversations. Yeah. But at that time in life, that was the season where you would say something and you would look to me and say, is that right? Yeah, sure. I looked to you for validation. That's our Right. One's your approval or. So I'm sure she saw all that. Mm -hmm. She saw how I would correct what you said. You would look to me after you said something and ask me if that was right. This was stuff that was just normal to us and we didn't even realize we were doing it. Um, We were so codependent. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we didn't have the resources to learn. We chose not to get the resources. I don't know if there was any resources. <laughs> there, Codependent No More had been out for years by the time I read it. We weren't looking. It's one possibility. <laughs> it's one possibility. So some powerful things. That book began to shift a lot. I began to start asking myself, you would ask me, where do you want to go for dinner? I'm like, I don't care. You know, what is it that you want to do? I don't care. I didn't know how to even locate what I wanted, much less what I was feeling. So I began to start asking myself those questions. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? Um, I began to accept what is. It was very common for me to avoid reality. And obviously that was all a part of of the denial and the self-deception and all the things that go along with a low self-esteem in that I, I just 
couldn't be with reality. I can't believe you did this. This can't be happening. Here we go again. How is this? Why is this happened to me all the time? All of those phrases that were about resisting reality. When I began to surrender and accept reality, it allowed me to start presencing myself with what was. And to be present with what was, it calls you up. It calls you to be present. It calls you to give of yourself in the moment where in a low self-esteem, you can't do that. You're ju- I was so steeped in my own self-absorption that I really couldn't be present in life. Because inside my head, life was dramatic. Life was terrible because how could I be so awful? People must hate me. All of this chaos internally blocked me from being present. And so as I started to choose to be present, I stopped looking at what how things should be or could be or would be if I was different and started looking at how things actually were. What did I choose in this moment? What do I want to choose now? You know, what did I choose in that moment? What do I want to choose now? The more I began to take responsibility and show up in reality, the 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 more the grip of the low self-esteem lost its grip. And I started as the more I showed up, the more I could produce results, the more I could connect with you and the people that I loved, and the more I could see the power of my life and the ability to create moments that were worth living. And my lie about not being worthy began to fade in comparison to the power that I could see was possible if I could show up and be present. Is any of this making sense? It, it is. I'm also, what's coming up for me is how much of that we sometimes live in vagueness. And our vagueness, can, which is probably a topic for another podcast, but how your vagueness can really affect the relationship. Because simple as asking me where I wanted to go to eat, and I would say, I don't care. But then I would bitch about where we were eating at just proves a point that I did care. I was mm-hmm. not, I didn't make a request. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wanted Chinese and, and you didn't at that time didn't like Chinese. So I didn't even make a request. And so I lived in vagueness because it was easy. It was submissive, whatever you can call vagueness. But vagueness to me was just like not owning what I want or what I need to carry on the next conversation or the next plan or, um, and and it still comes up. We're, we can be very vague in our relationship. And it was an unmet expectation that I had no idea you wanted, but because you were vague or I was vague, um, it can produce tension. Yeah. Vagueness is just self-deception. It's, uh, it's, um, dishonesty. It's how we choose to be dishonest. And often dishonesty comes up and we don't even realize we're walking in it. But if you listen to the language, you'll hear the vagueness. And it's where we're subconsciously wanting to cover what we don't want. And it was powerful for me that the biggest shift in my self-esteem, the biggest shift in growing into standing authentically in myself was in the healing process from the affair. And when the affair happened, one of the first questions I was able to start asking myself is, what is it that I want? What is it that I need? And that question alone began to change everything because to ask myself what I wanted and needed is actually an act of humility. I need to humble myself to believe that the knowledge of what I want and need will show up if I'm willing to sit humbly in the question. Not like, what do I want, what I need? I want... I want, you know, a million dollars. I want a fancy vacation. That That's a different version of that question. But the version in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, to be willing to, you know, what's prideful is to say, I don't know. To say when when life is falling apart and I need to stand up and show up and face the darkness, to say I don't know is an act of cowardice, which is what I had done for years. I I constantly didn't know. And when I really began to show up in authenticity and stand in humility was to say, I will discover what I want and need. I will find what I want and need. And it was powerful. And you can speak to this if you'd like. But 
the the what began to happen when I began to just trust that hunch inside of me. Often what I felt, what would come to me that I needed, I it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense why I needed, um, you know, I, it made sense to me why I needed you to leave the house so that I could heal. It, I, you know, when I said I need you to tell the kids why you're leaving, those things were very. It was very humbling to it say those things. It was a massive risk, and it was humbling to actually stand in the honesty and ask you for what I wanted and needed. So when you think about the contrast of, you know, me standing there constantly telling you, I don't know what I want. I don't, you know, I don't care what we do, whatever that version of myself, tell me, you love me. Tell me why you love me to the version that stood there and looked you in the eyes and said, here's what I need. I need you to leave. And I need you to tell the kids why I'm leaving. What was the difference for you of those two versions of me and being a spouse to that? Um, I, I think it's getting rid of the vagueness and getting rid of, it's able for me to lead. It's able for me to understand what I need to do then based on what you were asking, what you needed and wanted to do. So it empowered you. And yes. It empowered me, facilitated me in a way where I could lead for myself then, which in my childhood was very much not the case. You know, if I lead by myself, it was because of rebellion. I was rebellious, like, you know, sneaking out of the house, all these types of things. Um, whereas, you know, I had a mother that constantly was telling me what to do more or less. So yes, I feel like it, it empowers the other person when you actually make the request of what you want and need. It empowers that person to choose for him or herself what they need to do. And in that situation with you asking me to leave the house, I, I could, I could see that as the best choice available. And it allowed me to get with myself and figure out what I wanted and needed for our relationship. Um, painful. Yeah, sure. That, you know, pain is life, part of life. It's going to be there. So for me, it was the empowerment to, to do what was necessary. It gave our kids an example to see what good communication looked like. Um, you know, I guess attitude in a situation, it wasn't, like I said, there was pain, but there wasn't like a, there wasn't resentment or yelling or anger. It was just, this is what I want and need. And the other person accepting that and being sensitive to those needs because if you love that person you are going to be sensitive to their wants and needs well and what you told me at one point after that was that it was exactly what you needed at the time you were angry but you looked back and you realized that intuitively my intuition had known what i couldn't have known in that the impact it would have on you so the truth is, is that if I'm not choosing a low self-esteem, I'm choosing to humbly walk in authenticity, accepting and loving both my shadow and my villain, my shadow and my hero. Sorry. So the reality is that if I'm not choosing you know, like what's the opposite of low self-esteem? If I'm not letting my low self-esteem drive and control and um, bring me to control and manipulate others, then I'm standing in authenticity. I'm integrating both my shadow and my hero. I'm accepting that I am messy and beautiful and dark and light. And it's a humbling journey to walk in the honesty and the truth of who I really am and the journey of becoming and who I want to be and what's happening for me, my experience of what's happening for you and I, the impact of that choice, the impact of standing and living out in authenticity is that it opens up 
an ability, like when you stand authentically, when you stand uh, in honesty and humility and saying, here I am, you know, I'm choosing to love myself in a healthy way. It allows me to feel safe with you. It allows me to feel um, connected to you because now we're two humans, not someone trying to pretend to be perfect, not someone trying to pretend to be, you know, uh, plain small. It, it gives me the freedom to feel like we're partnering in life together because we are so, our humanness is so similar. And you're being honest about your humanness. I'm being honest about my humanness. What What is your experience in that? I would wholeheartedly agree that it, it comes, it comes into the relationship in a way where it's, it's more of a partnership. It's not like the, one person doing the work you're both equally working to be to be better and not to be better but like to to grow in a way that it enriches the relationship but more important more than that even it helps enrich a legacy with our kids with our grandkids with friends and, and our other family members because we are we're doing the work between you and I and then it goes outside the house and it works the same principles that we are inside the house work outside the house in business you know, business associates these making requests me asking for what's wanted and needed um, understand what's contributing to the breakdown um, those are all things that we use not just between you and I's relationship but we're using it in life and it's yeah, more more importantly. Yeah, a low self-esteem definitely impacts your marriage, but it also impacts your career. It impacts people your, still want to hang around theme. you if you're if you're a Debbie Downer. Well yeah, I mean we we have we've we've had and at times still have those relationships where that person is just so down on themselves. It it's just it's, it's taxing. Whether they're the person who is, you know, you're doing business with or a family member or whatever, it's powerful the difference of the drain it is versus the empowerment that choosing to stand authentically in yourself. Um, a lot of what I've watched happen is how much it changes our conversations, where in the past our conversations were trying to convince one another that we were valuable and worthy. Instead, we're experiencing our value and worth as we show up having honest and open conversations, discovering together, being willing to give and receive feedback, um, and, you know, accepting each other and making requests. And it, there's just so much more life and so much more beauty that yeah. comes out of Choosing to stand in the authenticity of our humanness without shame or judgment, but instead grace and acceptance. Yeah. It's that phrase that you and I have, well, not always, but we've had it as part of our, our language is what are you committed to cause? And I can sit back and watch you how you deal with another situation and be completely inspired, um, completely in awe of how you responded to that individual or that situation. Um, and that's where it shows up in life, really. It's like I could see see that, and it becomes appreciation. And, um, yeah, it creates more more love. Loving yourself creates well, more love. Yeah. Well, the relationship you have with yourself sets the tone for all the other relationships that you have. So um, I could tell stories about what specific thing. I won't go into detail. I'll shave it for another time. But that's just what comes to my brain now is just I can sit back and watch how you respond, react, how you don't react. And, um, and have that conversation with you later on. Like, okay, well, if this happened to me, I would have been irate. 
you had that situation happen to you and you were calm and collective. It's more the emotional maturity has grown in this work. Yeah. And you can't be emotionally mature when you're out of touch with your emotions. When you are avoiding being with yourself, you can't be in touch with your emotions, so you can't mature them. So, yeah, will you forgive me for all those years that I created such a drain and such a life suck in trying to get you to love me when in reality I just needed to love myself? Yes, I forgive you. And will you forgive me for a lot of times in our relationship – in, in the past, I've expected you to dig me out of my hole versus me just figuring out a way to get out of it and being resourceful. Yes.